morning, brothers and sisters. It's uh, lovely to see you this morning. Our God is, is great, he is good and he is true. And we're going to start by worshipping him through two, two songs of praise. First of all, praise my soul, the King of heaven. And secondly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Father God, you are holy. You are the great and awesome living God. And Lord, I pray that today we will lift your name up high. Father, we pray that our hearts will each be open, that our spirits will be humbled to know you, the great, true, living God, the one who is one, one and complete, in need of nothing, requiring nothing. Father, we bow down before you. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I'm not going to be able to uh, welcome everybody because I haven't managed to get around everybody to say, to find out who you all are. But uh, I did speak to Paul and Tessa. I didn't speak to Fiona, but it's nice to see you here. Audrey Russell's here from Folkestone. It's nice to see you, Audrey. And also I saw Emma Griffiths come in as well. Nice to see you, Emma. You're all welcome. And uh, I hope you enjoy the service that we have here and the time that we have remembering our Lord Jesus and his Father. But we have a number of members here um, who we need to be reminded of and, uh, and so Becky Sutton has prepared some notes on their welfare. I was, I'm pleased to see that Dorothy's here today. She was first on our list and, uh, and it says, or according to Becky, you're not quite back to normal but you're getting there, Dorothy. So I, I hope you get there very soon and I hope you feel uh, that getting back to normal means a full recovery too. It's lovely to see you here. Becky was aware that Anne Curtin was due to go in for some surgery this week but didn't have no news as to how she is so if anybody has Tomorrow. excellent okay so we must think of Anne and we'll pray about her prior to her operation then it's also great to see Jack here Jack's obviously is it fair to say struggling to cope with Mary's illness at the moment and uh, uh, and the, the, the sort of formal notice that I had was that Mary is in Christie and she, according to Jack and Mary, is receiving um, great care there at the moment. Um, she's having radiotherapy uh, again there and she's in Ward 12. Visiting hours are from 2 till 9 and Jack said this morning um, that she's very keen to have visitors um, e even if you're allowing for a short visit. Um, there are no flowers allowed uh, in the ward so those can't be can't be sent to Mary so I think we'll need to go in person if we want to send a thought Jack did mention that the um, care of her and the treatment of her pain was proving relatively successful and therefore she's not in the pain that she was previously but obviously although they're treating her cancer at the moment they're not confident of being able to cure her and that's uh, a really worrying time for both Mary and Jack and, and all of us who care for them those are the notes that I have on welfare. Is there anything else that anybody else would like us to pray about? Bow your heads then, we'll offer a word of prayer. Father, we have many plans in our lives that work out. And we have many things that we organise and throw our energies and efforts into that that go well and some that don't go so well. And we know that a lot of the time things are out of our control 
It doesn't matter how much effort we put into things and how much organization goes into things, the smallest things can make them go wrong. And it's a good reminder to us, Lord, that you are the only one to turn to for certainty and for confidence because we know when you plan something and when you organize something and when you have in mind that something will happen, it happens for certain. We pray, Lord, that in that context, the things that are planned for next week for the fellowship weekend do work out so that they are, it is a time that glorifies you and that brings people closer to you and to your lovely son, Jesus. And we pray, Lord, for the things that we do here every week, some for young people and some for older, that they will come closer to you as well. And not just be moved for the time that they're here to think about things in a different perspective, but also to change their lives, to repent of the ways that they've followed before and to change and come closer to you. And I pray that prayer for me too, Lord, and for all of us here, that we will continue to seek ways to come closer to you and to live our lives as if we are close to you. And we pray especially for Dorothy and for Anne and for Mary. Lord, sometimes we find it difficult to find the words to console people or to to say the right things. Sometimes even we're too scared to say anything in case we say the wrong thing. And I pray that you'll put the words and actions into our hearts so we know what to say and we know what to do and we know when it's right to give a hug and when it's right to say the, wrong, the right thing and when it's right to just be quiet. And I pray that you'll help those who are suffering at this time to feel that your love is being shown to them through their brothers and sisters and that they are part of that greater plan of which we can have such confidence. In Jesus' name, Amen. This morning, our thoughts going to come. Our thoughts going to come from Deuteronomy this morning. There's three main ideas I'd like us to think about. The first is that God is the centre point of our lives. He is the focus of our lives. The second is how do we actually come to God. And the third idea is what do we find when we get there? I've, I don't know if any of you have uh, either read the book or, if you just like me, seen the film with the time traveller's wife. There's no, no real nausea. I'll, I'll paint the plot for you. Basically, the time traveller is the central char- character, and he's a man who time travels. Um, but he has no control over his time travelling. Um, he just kind of spontaneously moves to a different part of his life. He can't control when this happens or, or where he's going to. But it's a very moving film because through, through this time travelling he actually gets to see the whole of his life um, several times. He gets little snippets of the whole of his life, including the time when his life ends. And so he comes to know the year when his life is going to end and the, the scene of his, his life ending. 
And the reason why I mention that is because Moses was exactly like that. God said to Moses that you're going to lead my people. You're going to lead my people for a long time. You're going to go through the wilderness, through all the ups and downs, the highs and the lows. But when it actually comes to the threshold of the promised land, you're not going to enter. And that's the background of the whole book of Deuteronomy. If you just um, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1 and put yourself in, in Moses' position. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and, and just verse 5, this is where the people of Israel have got to. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab. So they're right on the threshold of the land. They're about to cross into it. So for, for Moses, he knows how this scene is going to play out. In verse 8, he, 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 talks about, he, he repeats the words of God to the people. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. So he's saying to people, it's time, now, we're go- now you're going to go into this land. But he knows that he's not going with them. And then if you turn to the very last chapter of the book, there's a very, very moving passage. And <coughs> chapter 34. And verse 1. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo, from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. And there the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said, and God buried him. It's an incredibly moving passage, isn't it? And when you think about that context, the whole of Deuteronomy, I think, takes on an extra added dimension. It carries an intensity, because Moses is saying what he has to say to the people. He's not um, wasting any words when he speaks to them. It's so important what he says. There was a farmer... And he um, needed some help. He, he couldn't run the farm by himself, so he needed some help. And he put a sign on his gate. And he said, the sign was just an advert for, for, a, for a hired hand. And for weeks, no one came. Eventually, someone rocked up. It didn't look to be up to much. Um, so, but he had no choice. He said, do you have, have any references? The man said, well, just one. And uh, he handed it over. And it sim- said simply, he sleeps through a storm. Brilliant. But he had no choice, he had to hire this man, so, so, so he hired him. A few weeks later, um, things were going quite well, but then a few weeks later, a dramatic storm blew up. The wind was blowing through the, the whole farmhouse, the rain was pelting the windows. And so the farmer got up, paranoid and worried about his, his, his property and his livestock. So he went to, the, to get the farmhand to give him a hand, and he shook him, nothing, absolutely fast asleep. Couldn't, couldn't rise him from his slumbers. So the farmer tutted and tusked and went downstairs to lock the gate, uh, but it was already locked. He went to get all the animals in, but they were already in. He went to close the barn door, it was already, do- it was already shut. The farmhand had done it all already, and that's how the farmhand could sleep through a storm. Everything was taken care of, everything was in place. 
And that's what Moses is doing um, through Deuteronomy. So we're going to read um, two chapters from our daily readings. Chapter 10, which Jack is going to read for us, and chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 10. At that time the Lord said to me, Chisel out two stout tablets, like the first ones, and come up to me on the mountain. Also make a wooden chest, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. And then you are to put them in the chest. So I made the ark out of acacia wood, and chiselled out two stone tablets, like the first ones. And I went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. The Lord wrote on these tablets that what he had written before, the Ten Commandments, he had proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of the fire, on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. And then I came back down the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made, as the Lord had commanded me. And they are there now. And the Israelites travelled from the wells of the Jaconites to Mosera. There Aaron died and was buried. And Eleazar his son succeeded him as priest. From there they travelled to Good Goda and on to Jot Batha, a land with streams of water. And at that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to stand before the Lord to minister and to pronounce blessings in his name as they still do today. And that is why the Levites have no share or inheritance amongst their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as the Lord your God told them. Now, I have stayed on the mountain forty days and nights, as I did the first time. And the Lord listened to me at this time also. It was not his will to destroy you. Go, the Lord said to me and lead the people on their way so that they may enter and possess the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? and to observe the Lord's commands and, to, and decrees that I am going to give you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and don't be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, and the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise, he is your God, who performed for you 
those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your forefathers who went down into Egypt were seventy in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Deuteronomy 11 Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements his decrees, his laws and his commands always remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the, dis the discipline of the Lord your God his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, <coughs> and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did, what he did for you in the desert until you arrived at this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abram, sons of Iliad the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right to the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with all their household, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today, so that you have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess and so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden, but the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drink rain from heaven. It is a land that the Lord your God cares for, the eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So if you faithfully obey the commandments, the commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring, rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. <coughs> be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that the days and the days of your children may be many. May be many in the land that the Lord swore to give you, your forefathers, as many as the days the heavens are above the earth. If you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you, Every place where you set foot will be yours. Your territorial strength will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the Euphrates River to the Western Sea. No man will be able to stand against you, for the Lord your God, as he has promised you, 
will put terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today, the curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land that you are entering to possess, to possess, you are to claim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan, west of the road, towards the setting sun, near the trees of Morah, in the territory of those Canaanites living in, living in Arabah, in the vicinity of Gilgal. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land your Lord God is giving you. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I am setting before you today. Thanks, Jack and Ben. One of the things I, I probably the one thing I really like about the book of Deuteronomy is that the, Mo, the faith that Moses is talking about is a living faith. It's not just an idea which we rattle around in our brains every now and again and, and leave it behind there rattling around. It's not a tradition which defines who we are as a as a nation, as a as a kind of group of people. It's not just a historic um, culture. It's a living faith. It's a faith that's there at the dining room table. It's a faith that is there at the desk at work. It's a faith that's there at the football match we go to. It's a faith that's there at the shops. It's a living, breathing, active faith. Just one little bit which encapsulates that is is in verse 20 of chapter 11, where where Moses says, talk about God's, God's law, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Have them there as a, as a reminder. And Jews, practicing Jews, still do this today. And they call it the mezuzah. And it's just a very small little box. And it just says simply, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And on the reverse it just says, Shaddai, Almighty. It's there as a reminder of their living, active faith. You probably recognise the name of Professor Robert Winston. That rings a few bells. You'll definitely recognise his faith because he's the guy who does the... Um, programs like Child of Our Time. He's, the, um, he's a fertility doctor with a big bushy moustache. You recognise you recognize what I'm talking about? Well, he's, he's a practising Jew. And uh, I was reading him talking about his mezuzah, which he has on his door, door frame at home. And he says, When I leave home on a workday morning, my head crammed with the usual worldly thoughts and worries, my hand may occasionally stretch out for a moment and touch it. I like that idea. When we all have those mornings where you know you, you, you go out of the house and you're not sure if you've got your shoes on the right way or all that kind of stuff, everything's just cramming, cramming through your head. And it just says, just have that there as a touchstone, something to remind me of who I am, what I'm about, what my life is about. Uh, I think is, is important for us all to recognise that God is the focal point. He is the centre point of all our lives. God is like the steering wheel, which sometimes you veer off course, but if you let go, it spins back to the centre. That's what God is like. God is like the compass that even if we get lost and we're not sure where we are in life, it leads us home again. God gives us context when everything in life that we touch seems to turn to gold, when everything goes fantastically well. God puts that in context. And when the double-decker bus of your dreams hits the low-lying bridge of reality, God puts that into context too. God is the context for everything in life. God is our focus.
I'd like to focus then for a few minutes on a passage from chapter 10. Just starting at verse um, 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Those are lovely words, but what do they actually mean? What does it actually mean to fear God? It's a kind of phrase which, could, which comes with different images to different people. For some it means trembling and, and, and rocking back. For some it just means, oh yeah, you've just got to show a bit of respect, that's all. What does it actually mean to, to, to fear God? Well, I think the context is actually quite helpful. You'll notice that um, this, um, this, these words of Moses come after he's talked about the giving of the Ten Commandments. And that actually illuminates a lot of what it is to fear God. And just to, but just as an aside, and we, we talk about the, the Ten Commandments, and what's that, when that gets trans- translated into our minds, often mean, that means the Ten Thou Shalt Nots, doesn't it? It's, it's the Ten Thou Shalt Nots. But to the Jewish mind, it's anything but that. The Jews um, coined, rather than coining them the Ten Commandments, the Jews coined them the Decalogue when, when, they, um, when they were uh, part of the Greek Empire. And the Decalogue comes from, the, from two Greek words, Deca, ten, and Logos, which we recognise as being um, the term word. But the term Logos, while it does mean just word, in a religious setting, certainly in, in the Greek religious setting, it came to mean so much more. It meant idea. It meant plan for the universe. It meant source of order for the universe. It meant enlivening force. So when the Jews look at the Ten Commandments, they don't think of it as the Ten Thou Shalt Nots. They think it as the Ten Statements from God giving order to life, order to the universe, giving a plan for the universe. That's how they see the Ten Commandments. But what's interesting is that, of course, Moses had to give the Ten Commandments twice, didn't he? Because he had a little accident with the first set of tablets. You remember this, the situation? The first time that the Ten Commandments were given, um, Moses went up to the mountains to collect them, and after 40 days and 40 nights, he came down again, and the Israelites had got a little bit bored, so they'd made themselves a nice, shiny golden calf, and they were worshipping the golden calf. And when Moses saw that, he was so angry, so, um, so uh, uh, consumed by kind of by anger that he smashed the Ten Commandments down and so God had to give him a, a second set a little bit later. But it's the way the two sets of commandments were given which I, I want to focus on because I think it's the way that they were given which actually illuminates what it means um, to fear God. Um, if you turn to Exodus chapter 19, this is the, the first time. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 10. I'll read, read um, about nine verses here. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows, not a hand is to be laid on him, whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. 
Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations, and on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the, tam- in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. What a terrifying spectacle that was. Can you imagine what that would have been like to to witness this fire and smoke? I'm just glad no one needed to catch a flight around that time. (laughs) Fire, smoke, noise, the whole terrifying um, caboodle. And I think to myself, why did God deliver these commandments, these, not commandments, sorry, these, these, these ten life-changing ideas, why did he deliver them in such a terrifying way? I don't know for sure, but my suspicion is that because God knew what was in their hearts. He knew the golden calf was already in their hearts. It hadn't left their hearts because they were only three months out of Egypt and all the paganism, the idolatry, and all the, the God-worship that went on there was still firmly at the centre of their hearts. And so this, this mountain on fire with smoke, like a furnace and a trumpet, is God saying, take me seriously. I am the one true God. There is no other God. I am the only one. I have a yell. <laughs> and uh, I'm told that apparently when I use it, it shakes the window panes of our house. <laughs> but, but sometimes I feel that I have to, to have to use this yell. If Julia's not towing the line. <laughs> 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 she did say she'd listen to the podcast of this actually so if you could just Alex just edit that out <laughs> now if, if sometimes the kids are just going on their own kind of way they're, they're kind of steadfastly doing what they want to do and sometimes I just have to say to them stop take me seriously this is for your own good please take me seriously and I have to use this um, very loud yell and I think that's what God was doing to the people of Israel but the second time that the tablets were given was so different. If you turn to um, chapter 33. This is chapter 33, and you see a, a change in heart of the people. In verse 3, this is um, God speaking through Moses again. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. And no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. I think there's a real change in, in the attitude of the people. Suddenly, they're humble. Suddenly, they, they recognise who God is. And you know, the last time they were taking off their ornaments... It was to melt them down to make the golden calf. But here they're taking off their ornaments because they want to do what God says. They want to prepare themselves um, for their God. So then in chapter 4, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. And then verse 4, So Moses chiseled out the two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands 
And the Lord came down the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Finally, they actually got to meet the real God. The first time, they just got as far as a terrible mountain consumed by fire, smoke and furnace. Now, finally, through Moses, the Israelites were getting to know the real God because their hearts had changed. They had humbled themselves and they're ready to know God, the compassionate, gracious God, abounding in love. This is God. And you see the difference, and it's the same for us in our lives. How we approach God will affect the God that we see. If we approach in humility and humble ourselves, take off whatever ornaments we might be wearing, then we come to know the real God. And that is the context of Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Of course, we don't have a mountain that you can go up and touch or not touch, as the case may be. We don't, we don't have that kind of physical experience, do we? But actually, I think what we have is even more awesome, because we have the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. To know who God is through Jesus, it's so awe-inspiring, isn't it? It's so breathtaking that it does humble ourselves as we come before him. The writer to the Hebrews expressed that so well. If you go to chapter 12 of Hebrews. Chapter 12 and verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Finally, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We're going to come to God through Jesus in a moment, so I'm taking bread and wine. But first of all, we're going to sing from Praise the Lord number 35. If I hadn't been quoting so many long passages this morning, I'd have, I'd have had um, Psalm 48 read, um, which this song is based upon. Um, I definitely, if you get the time later, read Psalm 48. It's, it, it really um, casts, enlightens what we've been thinking about. But for now we'll sing, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, the holy place. And so we come to share this meal. And when we come, we don't find, do we, a, a terrifying sight, a sight of a, a burning mountain, of smoke, of loud trumpets. We simply find bread and wine. And because we come in humility and with seriousness in our hearts of what we're doing, we have believed in the Lord our God and in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have repented 
We've turned our, our backs on Egypt. We've turned our lives around. We've been baptised. In that moment, we said we're serious about Jesus. In that symbolic act, we've joined him in his death and in his resurrection. So that now, for the rest of our lives, we can remember that joining. Or joining of us to Christ by sharing this bread and this wine. And Trevor's going to say, I give thanks to the bread. Father, you are our praise. You are our God. And just like you did in Deuteronomy, you've performed for us great and awesome wonders which we've seen with our own eyes. And Father, we thank you that through your love, through your grace, through your forgiveness, we are part of a company as numerous as the stars in the sky. As we share bread together, help us fear you and help us serve you. Help us hold fast to you and help us take our oaths in your name. Thank you for this bread, Father. And thank you for the awesome wonder that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The body that we have become part of, that we have joined our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, you are great beyond measure. Help us through this wine to remember the supreme sacrifice of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen. The blood which this wine symbolises speaks more eloquently and powerfully than even a smoking mountain. That God is a God who loves us, a God of compassion and faithfulness. We're going to remain seated now and sing together. Now may he who from the dead brought the shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ, our living head, from all ill us safely keep. May he help us to fulfill what is pleasing in his sight. Perfect us in all his will. Keep us in the way of right. I've, I've said this before, and so I'm probably boring you, but there's, um, there's a few lines which Tim, that William Tyndale wrote about um, Deuteronomy, which I think are so, are so nice. But to put, put them in context, um, Tyndale was in Europe, because if he'd stayed in England, he was going to be killed. And he'd taught himself how to read and understand Hebrew, which meant that probably he was the only person in the English-speaking world who could read and understand Hebrew. And he taught it himself so that he could translate the Old Testament. And what he did was he'd trans- translate, the f- translate a book, so he started with Genesis, and then he'd send it, it had to be smuggled back into England for people to read. And he'd worked his way through book by book through the Bible. And just at the beginning of each book, he'd do a little introduction, telling the people what the book was about and the gist of it. And about uh, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Tyndale said, This is a book worthy to be read in day and night, and never to be out of the hands A very pure gospel preaching faith and love. Love to God and a love of man's neighbour. I like that because I think Deuteronomy is a gospel. It is the gospel um, coming through Moses. And just two little um, bits that we've read just to highlight that. 
from um, Deuteronomy chapter 10. And then a question at the end. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. You see, we can be tempted to think that the Old Testament was the law, and it was all about what you did. And when it came to the New Testament, Jesus kind of changed all that and said, actually, it's about what's in your heart. Not true. God has always been interested only in what's going on inside our hearts. And the Gospel coming through Moses says, circumcise your hearts. It's not about what you do with your foreskin, it's what you do with your hearts. And verse 17. You know how the New Testament's a bit about the Gentiles and the, the Old Testament's a bit about the Jews, right? Verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens. God, through Moses, telling the Jews, love Gentiles. That's the gospel through Moses. And what a God we find. When we, when we come to him, when we, when we realise and understand who he is, He's the God of the downtrodden, the God who loves the fatherless and the widow. So the question to go away with is, are we just believers of that, or are we disciples of that? You see, the believer says, uh, God loves the fatherless and the widow. That's really nice. And when the kingdom comes, there'll be no, you know, the tear will be wiped away. It'd be great. And then the believer just sits back in their armchair. The disciple, on the other hand, sees what God has said, hears the gospel through Moses, and follows it, and tries to be like God. So, we're going to close by seeing together, tell out my soul, after which Alex is going to close in prayer. Loving Father God, we open ourselves up to you at the end of our service this morning to thank you to thank you for this amazing collection of writings that you've had preserved for us we thank you for this Bible and we thank you that it's not just story that we read but in these pages we can see our story this book is a living book Lord and we thank you that we can see the struggles and the triumphs that we also have in these pages. Father, thank you for the examples that we've been shown this morning. Thank you that we're reminded in the way Moses reminded the people that faith should be living, faith should be active. Faith is not something that should just be locked up inside a church, but something that should be tested and, and active outside these walls, Father. Father, help us to, to remember to use these incredible words in, in your scriptures as a reminder, as a touchstone, to give us context, to give us focus. And Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us that you've revealed yourself in these words 
that you're continuing to reveal yourself to us through your spirit at work and I pray Lord that you will reveal yourself to others through us so that others will know that you are the Lord the Lord the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin and Lord I read those words and feel like the fingers pointing straight at me so I pray that you will you will use us as vehicles to reveal yourself that we can build trust focus and hope in you so that you will be glorified because of your love and faithfulness Father we long for you we long for our relationships with you being made complete with you in the kingdom that you've promised so Lord Jesus come quickly we ask for prayer in your name Amen